Hey, my name's Luke Banner, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Uh, I was here a couple months ago and really enjoyed myself, and so I invited myself on back. Um, I am planning a church in Chattanooga in a neighborhood called Highland Park, and I appreciate your prayers for that work very much. Um, this morning, uh, we are going to be thinking and talking about what it is to have lives of worship. Okay, so this morning, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 to consider that. <clears throat> when I say lives of worship, what do you think? Right, let's just stop here. When I say worship, what do you think about? You probably think about singing. And if you've been hanging around PCA churches long enough, you may actually think about reading the Word, preaching the Word, sacraments, vows. You might think about a lot of PCA-type language for worship, but you probably don't think about changing your oil or filing your taxes or studying for finals. How many covenant students we got in here? Come on now. How many we got? I went to covenant. This is fun. Uh, there's something very monotonous about the regularity of your class schedule and the finals and all that, isn't there? Uh, very difficult to think about that as a form of worship, but I want to suggest to you that um, everything that we do here is a worship service, and it's very important. It's led by the elders of this church, and you should continue to come to this, but everything in life can and should be an element of worship. Everything could, can, and should be an element of worship. Worship is just thinking about God and thinking about Him in such a way that we love Him in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds. So this morning, the main idea that I have for you is that being a follower of Jesus means that we are actually called to worship Him with our whole being at all times, in all places, and in all that we do. Let me repeat that for us because it's kind of an outline for us. Being a follower of Jesus means that we are called to worship Him with our whole being in, at all times, in all places, and in all that we do. You see, worship is not merely an event, it's a lifestyle. And so this morning we're going to consider that, and in God's kindness to us, the more we live into that lifestyle of worship, the more He actually transforms our hearts, and actually the happier we are as we walk through this life. So this morning, I'm actually going to try to reframe our life around this concept of worshipful living. So let me read our passage for us. This is Romans 12. We're only going to look at two verses, and really, it's, it's, uh, I'm just going to break it apart uh, even briefer than that. Romans 12:1 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we turn our attention to this word. <clears throat> Father, thank you. thank you. Thank you for this beautiful church. Uh, a church family that can pray as a family. Thank you for the fact that you bring separate pieces together and that we are united in Christ as a body. Lord, this morning as we consider these words from Romans and consider what it means to have a worshipful life, I pray that you would disrupt those who are too comfortable 
And I pray that you would actually bring great comfort and peace to those who are in a state of discomfort and disarray. Such is the gospel. May you do much through this time to grow your kingdom in our hearts and in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, being a follower of Jesus is where we're going to begin. What that means is that we're transformed by grace. That's where this begins. To be a follower of Jesus means that you have, I have, been transformed by grace. Look at verse 1. It says, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, speaking brothers in Christ. And so what I want to show you real briefly is that this is a transitional point in the book of Romans. This is a transitional point where so far in the first 11 chapters, Paul has been talking about the grace that God has given to his people. And he's been describing that grace in so many different ways, and now he's going to transition in chapter 12 through 16 to talking about what that looks like in our life. The proper response, you might say. What is it that we're supposed to do in response to that grace? So he's been looking back. That's what he's saying, therefore. And now he's going to turn his attention to describing what that looks like um, moving forward. You know, some people think that Christianity is primarily a religion of rules. Do you know anybody like that? That they, they think Christianity is all about what you should not do and things you should do. Um, and in reality, uh, that's the heart of every other religion. Christianity is a religion of grace. You see, at the heart of every other religion is performance based on rules and this conditionality that if we perform, if we're good enough, maybe then we would be loved. Maybe then we would be accepted. Maybe then we would be saved. But the heart of of Christianity is that we are transformed by grace. So there is no performance. There's only perfect acceptance through the love of Jesus. So in Scripture, I don't know if you've noticed this, we are only told how to live after we are told that we are loved. Did you know that? That's what's happening in chapter 12. The first 11 chapters has been telling us how much we are loved, how much grace has been given, and now chapter 12 is going to start talking about how we live in response to that. Every other religion is the opposite. In every other religion, we are told how to live, and if you perform well enough, you may be accepted and you may be loved. This makes a huge difference in how we live and why we live. It gets to the motivation of the heart, doesn't it? We have to ask ourselves, are we being motivated by gratitude and love and acceptance, or are we being motivated by performance and rules and expectations? You see, even if we do the right things, the things that God would have us do, but we do them from a place that's motivated by fear and by expectation and by um, performance, we're doing those things wrong. This is something that we need to cast away from how we live. You see, if we uh, do the right things to earn God's love, we don't really know God. Because that's not how God operates. And if we don't know God, we certainly can't love God. And if we don't love God, we certainly can't worship Him, can we? 
And so we have to understand that we only relate to the Lord through grace and how he has transformed our hearts and set our hearts upon him so that we can worship him. See, we don't understand God and then receive God's mercy. We receive God's mercy and then we worship him. And that makes a huge difference. Has anybody seen the movie or the play Les Mis? I love this movie. There's this scene where this hardened criminal named Jean Valjean gets out of prison and he has no opportunity to work. He has nowhere to stay. No one will be around him. He's kind of ostracized from the community as a convict. And this priest takes him in and allows him to stay at his house. And in the middle of the night, this hardened man decides that he's going to actually steal all the silver um, flatware and silverware from the priest's home and just leave, spitting in his face, basically. So the next day, he's arrested, and the guards bring him back to the priest so that the, the priest can identify this man as the man who has stolen from him. And the priest does this unbelievable thing where he scolds Jean Valjean for not taking the candlesticks that are worth far more than all the silverware combined. And he treats him like a friend and says, Jean Valjean, why did you leave so quickly? You could have taken these candlesticks which are worth all more than all this silverware. What's happening here is that he's offering him grace and forgiveness and love when he certainly did not deserve it. In the rest of the movie, you see this man, Jean Valjean, softened and transformed through the power of that grace in his life. And he lives the rest of his life in gratitude for the way that this priest had offered him grace, which is really just a reflection of how God had offered him grace. It's this powerful story of how God does transform us. Grace transforms. Rules and laws only make us conform, but grace has the power to transform us. So being a follower of Jesus means we have been transformed by grace and now have a desire and a reason to worship. So being a follower of Jesus means that we're now called to worship him with our whole being. That's the transitional point in Romans that I've been talking about. First 11 verses talking about grace. Now we're going to talk about how we're called to live therefore. And Paul says this, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That's kind of confusing language. Anybody know what an oxymoron is? Oxymoron is two is a word where it's two different, or a phrase with two words that are opposing in nature coming together to make a point. So um, anybody ever heard of icy hot, topical lotion, or a black light, or a minor disaster? What's that? Or deafening silence? What is that? What about this one? A living sacrifice. What does that mean? What does that mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, it gets at the motivation of the heart. It gets at the heart of the issue. That sacrifices are things that have to die. And in the Old Testament, sacrifices are used for worship. In fact, sacrifices were the primary way in which God was worshipped as we showed devotion to Him with this symbolic atonement of sin that ultimately only points us to Jesus, the true and perfect sacrifice, who truly takes away sin. So to be a living sacrifice kind of brings to mind what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, 
deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I think that helps us understand what a living sacrifice really is. Something in us has to die. In this passage, Paul is calling us ourselves to be that sacrifice that we put on the altar before the Lord as a worshipful act, and that that material act, putting our body on that altar, is actually a spiritual endeavor, that that is how we worship the Lord. So what has to die? Well, it's basically this, everything in us that is not of God. The flesh, the old man, the sin nature, everything that's not of the Spirit has to be put to death for us to worship the Lord. So every day with all of our being at all times and all places and all that we do, we are called to be a sacrifice for Christ. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. It means that we have a life of worship, that we would be in a perpetual state daily of worship of King Jesus. And we're called to do that not in some percentage or partiality, but we're called to do that with the whole of our beings. Our whole beings, including our body, our soul, our spirit, our heart, our minds, and that there would be a consistency or a congruence here between our external life and our internal hearts. Think about Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus was infuriated by the Pharisees, wasn't he? Why is that? Because there was an external performance, an external religiosity, but there was an interior side of them that was so far from the Lord that they looked good on the outside, but their hearts were far from Him. Jesus referred to this as them being whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones. Looks good on the outside, dead and decaying on the inside. There is a difference, friends, for us between being merely a rule follower and being a true worshiper of Jesus. There is a difference. Not all people who have a moral and virtuous life are actually worshiping Jesus with their hearts. So do, do, do Christians, do followers of Jesus obey? Do we strive after holiness? Of course we do. Of course we do. That's part of actually following Jesus. But it comes from a place of worship and delight because of the transforming power of grace in our life. You see, Jesus isn't interested in merely changing our behaviors. That's very topical. That, that doesn't get to the root of the issue. Jesus wants our hearts committed to him. Jesus wants the motivation of our hearts to be worship of Him and for our actions to then be born out of that. What that means in a practical way is that we should not ever have any intentional blind spots in our life. What that means is that we can never have any pet sins that are precious to us. Anybody seen the movie Lord of the Rings? <clears throat> You know this, uh, this weird character, Gollum? Smeagol? This, this like twisted creature that lives in a cave? He refers to the ring of power as his precious. This thing that he idolizes. And what we find through that movie is that in as much as he's trying to control the ring of power, it actually controls him. It's precious to him. Friends, I want to suggest to you that that's exactly what the sin nature 
in our life is. And that we must always be killing sin or that sin will be killing us. And constantly twisting our hearts to be something ugly and unrecognizable and monstrous before the face of God, just like Smeagol. Have you ever heard anybody say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior? Anybody ever heard that? That's a good thing to say. It's good. Um, When we say that Jesus is our Savior, we're saying that Jesus has saved me from my sins and I have a hope in the Lord now. I have an assurance of my relationship with Him. That's good. When we say that He's our Lord, we're, we're stating that He is King over all things in our life and that we submit to His rule in all things. But let me suggest to you something, that if Jesus is not both your Lord and your Savior, He's actually neither one. Do you understand what I mean by that? If we don't submit all things to Jesus and that only He alone is our precious, then He's neither our Lord or our Savior. So friends, we are called to worship Jesus in all of our beings, and we do this by presenting our whole selves to Him as a sacrifice and worship and having no place in our lives that is not submitted to Christ as our King. So we're called to worship Him also at all times and in all places. We have this misunderstanding, I think, in this country about uh, what worship is and, and when it happens and where it happens. In Trenton, Georgia, it happens on, what is this, Highway 136? In, be, in between Jefferson's and Larry's at 10.30 a.m. That's, that's worship, right? That's when we come to do the singing and, and the sacraments and all that stuff. But um, worship can and should happen at all times and in all places, Why is that? Well, it's it's because of this. The church is not a place. This is a church, but the church is actually a people. The church is something that is gathered together for corporate worship, but the church is also a people that are scattered to bring the kingdom to fruition in this world, as this young lady just prayed. That was wonderful. In John chapter 4, Jesus interacts with a woman, a very, very broken woman. And she says this thing that's really interesting. She she tells Jesus that she knows that worship is supposed to happen in a particular place, at the temple in Jerusalem. And Jesus corrects her, and he says to her, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. I want to encourage you with this, that each one of us, as believers and followers of Jesus, are a temple of the Holy Spirit living within us. That we are the house of God. We are the church corporate body, if you will. We are the body of Christ. And what that means is that everywhere we go, the temple or the house of God goes with us. Does that make sense? Because we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit goes with us wherever we go. What would it be like if we thought about the fact that we were taking the Holy Spirit with us into every place that we go, that we would be a light in the darkness in that way? Let me give you a couple examples. Um, What would it be like if when you went to the gym, you thought that you were actually taking the power of the Spirit with you? If when you went to the grocery store, you were taking the spirit that nourishes our longings and desires with you. 
When you, when you come home from a busy day, a long day, your house is in disarray, your family's in disorder, you're bringing a spirit of comfort and grace with you into that home. As, as, as an image bearer and one who is transformed by grace and, and who has the Holy Spirit living within you, that's exactly what's happening. Think about Moses at the burning bush. The Lord says to Moses through the bush, do not come near, take off your sandals. The place you are standing is holy ground. What if you thought about everywhere you went as holy ground because you are taking up kingdom space, right? That's exactly what's happening. We're taking the kingdom with us into Trenton, Chattanooga, Covenant College, all the places that you go. That's you taking the kingdom with you. It's a beautiful thing. It's so encouraging to me to think like that. Anybody heard of uh, a guy named Brother Lawrence? He was a 16th century monk. He worked in a kitchen. He was a cook at a monastery. And Brother Lawrence produced a lot of great thoughts that were turned into a book called Practicing the Presence of God. Um, Fascinating. Please read it. He says this, the most holy and important practice in the spiritual life is the presence of God. That every moment is taking great pleasure that God is with you. So simple. That's the Christian faith. That's the Christian life. He goes on to say, I have abandoned all particular forms of devotion, all prayer techniques. My only prayer practice is attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. It's beautiful. That's a great commentary on what we're talking about. Worship is not an event, it's a lifestyle. Worship is not something we come to, but it's a way of living. When I was at at Covenant College, they referred to this as coram deo. It's this Latin expression. Anybody ever heard that expression, coram deo? It means living before the face of God. What would it be like, Christian, if we actually lived before the face of God, if we went through our day as if the Lord was with us? I think that's a beautiful picture that we can hold on to as we seek to live out our faith in worshipful living every day. So we're called also to worship Him in all that we do. Colossians has a really great way of putting it. It says, whatever you do, just think, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You ever wonder if your life has meaning and significance? Do you ever wonder if you're actually making a real difference in the world? I mean, most of our life is pretty boring. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, I, I think the first 20 minutes of my life, I do the exact same things every day. And it's usually that way right before bed. On paper, my life is pretty boring. Most of us don't have very interesting jobs. And most of our life is filled with a lot of monotony, isn't it? Not very fun at times. Let me talk to you parents for a minute. Uh, As a a parent myself, this really helps me. Uh, I mean, how many diapers have you changed? Or how many times have you clicked your kids' car seats into the place? Um, What about books? I mean, how many times have you read the same story to your children? doing the dishes and laundry? How about people that go to work? How many times have you taken the same road to work? A lot. Studying for tests or even just going to class, showing up sort of out of routine. I just want to 
redeem the ordinary in our life for a second? What if these things can be done in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him? What if these things can be worshipful? Brother Lawrence says, it's not the greatness of the work which matters to God, it's the love with which it is done. We have a false distinction that we think that some things are spiritual in nature and some things are not spiritual in nature. A false distinction that some things are secular and some things are sacred. Some things are of the church and some things are of the world. That ain't true. Everything is something that can be worshipful in nature. Brother Lawrence says, the time of busyness does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and the clamor of the kitchen, while all these people are talking to me at the same time for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. That's beautiful. I want that. That's exactly what I want. Let me tell you about Monday night at my house. Monday night was a bad night for me. It was a bad night for the whole Banner clan. That was one of the nights that the temperature dropped super low. Do you remember that? It was um, a day that I had been doing really important church planting stuff, um, and I felt really, really good about that. And then I come home to a house that's 56 degrees. It's 56 degrees. Like, I'm wearing my parka in the house, right? And my wife is working this night. She's a counselor. She sees clients on Monday nights. So my task is to fix the thermostat on the wall, punching the buttons, you know, that's broken so that we can have heat. I just need to be a good dad along the way. I need to feed my kids dinner, cook dinner, serve dinner, clean up dinner, keep them healthy and relatively happy. And after I pop the screen off of this thing, I find that it looks like a bomb inside with the colored wires and all this. And it's like so confusing. And of course, I run into technical issues like right away, calling customer service. All of a sudden, I've got a jostling, you know, jostling my 16-month-old little boy who's super active and he's crying. And I'm on the phone with customer service and that guy has no idea what's going on. And it's just a terrible night. I totally lost perspective. I was irritable and grumpy and I was a grouch. And I was not even probably nice to the guy on the phone while my kid was screaming. I probably didn't even say thank you. And it was just really a missed opportunity to see what Jesus was inviting me into and how he would have me grow in my faith and have a moment where I can enjoy him in the midst of this busy life, this broken world. I missed an opportunity to worship the Lord as I brought order out of chaos and serve my family. It was a really bad night. I got swept up in the mess of worshiping my own plans. That's the thing here. I was worshiping my plans, my desires, and my need for rest. You see, we're always worshiping. Everyone on this planet is always worshiping. The question is, what or who are we worshiping? That night I was worshiping myself. And it showed. Just the next night, Tuesday, guess what happened? Tuesday, in the middle of the day, my washing machine goes out. And this is a really big deal. And my wife reminds me of how big of a deal this is because we're a family of four, so we make a lot of laundry. And guess what else? We do cloth diapers, which means what? We have stinky stuff in our diapers. Which means what? I need a washing machine! 
And I, I tell my wife, I'm overwhelmed. I'm doing super important church pastor stuff. Uh, and I put my head in my hands. I literally put my head in my hands. And the Lord gave me enough grace in that moment to just pause and tell my wife what I was experiencing, what I was feeling, how I was overwhelmed. <laughs> and as often happens, the Lord reminds me of my hypocrisy when I'm preaching a sermon. And I remember that this sermon is about a lifestyle of worship. Through the Lord's kindness, I was able to take a moment, gather myself, and go and fix the stupid washing machine, serve my family, bring order out of chaos, and glorify God in the process, I think. I think he was glorified. I'm not telling you that so that you think that I'm some great guy. I'm telling you that because I think it paints a picture of how hard it is to keep that perspective and how when we're worshiping ourselves and our own desires, it's really hard to be worshiping Jesus. And yet, in God's kindness, he brought me out of that place so that I could put my attention on him. Friends, as Christians, we literally take on the name of Christ. That's what a Christian is, someone who is of Christ, a little Christ. And praise the Lord for that. Our identity is hidden with Christ such that we are not known by our failures and our inability to worship the Lord in all these ways that I've just described, but rather that we champion the name of Christ because he was actually able to he did worship God with his whole being at all times, in all places, and in all that he did, and continues today to do that. Friends, we can never worship Jesus with our whole beings, but that's exactly why we champion Jesus and worship him, because when we fail, we go back to the cross. And somewhere in that, we learn about grace, and it transforms us to be able to worship the Lord even more. So what exactly is a life of worship? I think the Westminster Confession is helpful here. It says, hey, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And in God's kindness to us, the more that we're enjoying God, there's more fruit that is born in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are things that are born out of a place of worship of King Jesus. So let me close with this. This is uh, from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's really interesting how he puts this. Here's what I want you to do. God's help being given to you. Take your everyday, ordinary life you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. And don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. May that be true of us today. As we are transformed by grace, and through God's kindness, have a life of worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, the fact that you give us grace, and out of that grace, 
we are transformed, and then we come to a place where we are able, with a renewed heart and mind and spirit, to live according to your ways. I pray for this church and these friends um, and for myself that we would have our attention placed on you and that through placing our attention on you, our minds would be renewed and we would be able to discern what is good and perfect and that you would be glorified in all that we do. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.